Is there a place for mindfulness and SEL, social-emotional learning, in the world language classroom? My guest today, Jennifer Schwester, a French teacher in New Jersey, certainly knows that there is. We discuss why language teachers should consider mindfulness and SEL activities and their many benefits to students. SEL programs are also becoming more prevalent in our schools, and rightfully so. Can't wait to share these ideas with you. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral. And, of course, I always start by saying that you are an incredible educator. Look what you're doing. You're listening to a podcast about language teaching. So that is one of the many things that makes you incredible. So thank you so much for listening, but also for being that educator. So huge appreciation. So today, speaking of appreciation and giving ourselves grace and self-compassion and all that stuff, we're going to be talking about mindfulness and social-emotional learning, which we'll probably end up just saying SEL because it's a lot easier to say. But when we say SEL, that's what we're talking about. And we're going to look at what this looks like in the classroom. So I'm joined today by Jennifer Schwester, who is a French teacher in New Jersey. She has just completed year 25 in the classroom. So kudos to her for that amount of time in the classroom. And for the last 11 years or so, she has been at the high school level teaching French. I have personally had the experience of being in one of her workshops. And it was last year in New Orleans at the AATF workshop. She was presenting on mindfulness and SEL in the language classroom. I immediately reached out and said, you need to be on my podcast. And life got in the way for the last year, but we finally figured out. So here we are today because she's an incredibly busy person. In addition to teaching, being in the classroom with her students, she is very involved in the conference scene. She has done all the regionals. She's been at AATSB in Spain this year. She was back at AATF with French teachers in Quebec a couple of weeks ago. And I was there. She does some state organizations. So she has a list of wonderful things that she's doing. And I love that she's bringing this topic to teachers. And now we are going to bring this topic of mindfulness and SEL to you to use in your classroom. So I hope I hit on everything that does you justice, Jennifer. If I didn't, please correct it. But thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have wanted to be on your podcast for a long time. I was so excited last year when you reached out to me and life does get in the way. And, you know, not only with the conference circuit, I'm still teaching yoga on the side. And I've just recently, I accepted an adjunct professor position at our local community college. So let's get into this question of mindfulness and, and SEL. 
mindfulness is one of those words that people throw around and they say, oh, be very mindful or mindfulness. Just so we have context of what we're talking about today, what does that word mindfulness mean to you in doing this work? Mindfulness and social emotional learning are just thrown at people that we just intrinsically know all about this and what to do, and we do not. So mindfulness in a very simple sense is being attention to the present moment. Where are we? So if we're looking at our phones and we're walking, we are not being mindful at that moment. Very simple example. So we want to be aware of the space that we're in, uh, the environment, even our feelings, um, noticing them, but without judging ourselves. And that's the key component with mindfulness. We can be very aware, but as human beings, we tend to compare and judge ourselves all of the time. So for full mindfulness, you want to be noticing how you feel, what how you're interacting in the space, but not judging it. Just saying, okay, I'm doing this, I'm feeling this. So it's a very, it's very personal, this awareness. So when we're saying mindfulness, because I think we we tend to misunderstand because I could say, I'm being mindful of your feelings. I'm being mindful about where I am. And it actually has to do with maybe somebody else. But in this terminology, the way you're saying it, it's, it's really about this self-understanding. Correct. Um, because mindfulness is a component of yoga. And yoga, in the Eastern sense, is not... Um, just a physical exercise. The mindfulness aspect, the noticing where you are in the present moment is one of the eight components of a full yoga practice. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's about yourself, not of the other people. You can notice your reaction to the other person, but it's not about the other person. It's about yourself. And so how does the idea of social emotional learning play into this idea of mindfulness? So social emotional learning is, again, it's learning about yourself in order to then be more open to connect and learn about others. And then hopefully that allows us to create polite and or meaningful relationships. So that idea of respect comes into play. So if you're not respecting yourself, how can you respect other people? It's really the essence of education. What do we want from our students as they progress from being born to becoming productive adults in our world? So it's talking about self-management, social awareness, self-awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. And then how does that happen in your own brain? How does that happen in our classrooms? How does that happen in our home? How does that happen out in the community? And it might not always happen in all of those places. At some point, we're planting those seeds and giving our students the ability to hang on to these tools that will help them continue to grow and be wonderful human beings. We shouldn't see mindfulness and SEL as two separate things. They're they're sort of involved with each other. I'm almost seeing as yep. the SEL is the education piece that gets you to the mindful place. Am I wrong about that? That's a really good way to look at that. By thinking about the SEL components, you are being mindful. You know, did I make a good decision? Not you're a horrible person because of your choice, but did I make a good decision? And then either noticing what can I do the next time to maybe have a better decision or who can I reach out to 
to help me guide me in that decision process if I'm not sure how to do it myself. But let's take this and put it in our language classrooms or our language teachers here, right? So how does incorporating mindfulness and SEL, incorporating that into our classrooms benefit students in their whole overall language learning experience? Um, So everything goes back to Stephen Krashen's uh, theory of second language acquisition. If students are building a wall, if they are not being receptive to that comprehensible input that's coming in, they're not going to want to take risks. So the mindfulness aspect allows you to identify those feelings. I feel nervous. I feel scared. I'm, I'm afraid to make a mistake in public. Once we can identify those feelings and have some interventions, perhaps a deep belly breath, which I will talk about more later, um, will help to lower that effective filter so that meaningful content can get in. So the mindfulness and SEL aspect, it's contributing to positive outcomes. If that effective filter is lowered, the student's trying, they're getting positive feedback, they'll become more confident and try again. When we talk about Stephen Krashen and we talk about CI, we talk (laughs) so much about comprehensible input and that is actually part of his whole monitor model. His whole hypothesis actually has five different parts to it. One of them is comprehensible input, right? But that's what everyone latches onto. But Mm -hmm. One of those five parts of his whole hypothesis of language learning acquisition is that lowering of the affective filter. And we don't talk about the tools for that one because we're so focused on the CI. So I love that we are taking on that ever so important part of lowering the affective filter with these very concrete things that we can be doing for our students in the classroom. So let's talk about some of those strategies for essentially lowering the affective filter and and getting students to understand themselves better. So how have you used social emotional learning and with some specific strategies that you've found effective for cultivating that space for students in the classroom? Many of the mindfulness and SEL strategies are are very low key and low, there's like no prep to them whatsoever. They're part of our language classrooms already. And I like to highlight the fact that we are ha- are already doing this. Language teachers have been doing SEL forever, right? This is not a new thing. Just like we've also been differentiating for our students forever. Um, and now they're all nice key terms, but we've been doing this. We greet our students at the door. We, we see how they're feeling. You know, do they answer us in the target language? Are they not feeling it that day? You know, reading their body language. Are they even making some eye contact? And then just, you know, getting them to know that the classroom is the place where we practice. It's a safe place. We are going to make mistakes. Right? I make mistakes when I write in English. I write, mm-hmm. We always do. So, you know, let's learn from those. Let's notice those mistakes and learn from them and, and move on from them. And so that starts with the beginning of the year, the beginning of the semester survey. It's a little, whether you do a Google form, they fill out an index card, you know, but, you know, what do you do after school? Do you go right home and go to sleep? Do you have to babysit your siblings? Do you work? Um, What clubs and activities are you involved in? So leading into more strategies about things being meaningful, 
you know, what are the choices, right? Sometimes there are days we have all, all have our days that I know I need to accomplish a couple of things and I'm not feeling it. And I know the kids based on how I see them, they're not really into this either. So I might, they might come in and there might be three items on the board, but I'll list, I'll have a blank for a fourth. So A, B, C, D. And I'll say, okay, today we need to do A, we need to do B, we need to do C. What would you like to do in that other spot? Do you want to play a game? Do you want to just sit in and have some free choice reading? Do you need five minutes to talk to your friends? And then I'll say, in what order would you like to do them? You know, we have a little democracy. Or if one is really essential at the beginning or the end, I might, you know, add in my input, but not always. And so giving them some choice in how that classroom world is structured, because we have our own routines as teachers. And our students have to adapt to those routines, except they have to, I'm on block scheduling. They have to adapt to four different sets of routines and expectations every day while I get to keep mine. Mm -hmm. And so I find also that I tend to have students stay with me going into higher levels. They might not be the strongest language students, but they know what to expect when they enter my classroom. Mm -hmm. And when you know what's going to happen, you know, that takes a lot of stress off of you. So some of those really simple ways, you know, giving them their a voice with, you know, their own voice in the classroom. Another going into their lives and interests, I tend to not stick to the, all of the vocabulary that I'm supposed to cover in my topics, things you want to adapt. But if you know their interests, when you're talking about activities and likes and dislikes, then you can just add those in. Based on what I'm hearing is that it's more about creating a, a, an emotional space for students and not so much that physical space. Yes. And the physical space can be part of it, but we need to be aware of ourselves before we're really aware of what's going on. For most students, it's always, if I say something, what will they think of me? I cannot sit by this person. It, it delves in that physicality. When mindfulness is really, it, it starts with yourself. That's a challenge. It's very easy to pay attention and worry about other people or to take care of other people. It's very challenging to reflect on yourself, good or bad, happy, sad, all of it. When you implement these things, I kind of want to look at it at two ways. The student relationships to each other and then their relationship to the world. Like how do you how do you see those being affected by engaging in social emotional learning and mindfulness in the classroom? For that, you know, some of the activities are to come themselves down. We might take a deep breath. We might watch a mindfulness video. And there are students who may not even participate in that. And they also have choice there. You know, if they're not going to participate or really do the deep breathing, at least be quiet and please be respectful of your classmates that are doing that. So short little practices of doing that. And then in the classroom, through our activities, through our interpersonal work, they learn that there, other people might have similarities or diff and differences and that it's okay. And every year I have students come in and they're like, I cannot work with so-and-so. I cannot work with so-and-so. But if we're doing an interactive activity and you're spending one minute with that person, I'm like, we're just randomly going to meet new people for one minute and then we're moving on. Sometimes we have to stop and remind ourselves, how do we interact with other people? 
how are we listening? How are we looking at them? What is our body language? Mm -hmm. Um, And while that we've always had to do that with our students, it's been a challenge since coming back from the pandemic because Mm -hmm. all their communication is still online. So reteaching how to have interpersonal work with other people and that it might not always be our ideal situation. Mm -hmm. And then the challenges as teachers we have to monitor all of these little set sections going on, especially if we know we partner to people who may or may not get along very well. Then the other challenge is, have you had a student tell you that because of past issues in middle school that they are not allowed to work together? When students come to me, I do listen to that. You know, there are some students that are like, I'm in therapy because I've had to deal with this person. Like, well, okay, you will never work with them. Like that's, that is not going to be a fair thing. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to sit by them. But overall, you know, you can manage who's with whom. Um, okay. So looking like that in the classroom and, and really just, uh, it's a constant reading of the room. So in taking all this in and taking all of this on, as I I pointed out, I've reframed now <laughs> what mindfulness and SEL looks like in my classroom based on this conversation. So what are some recommendations that you would have for teachers? Like where where are you learning this from? Where are you continuing to learn from? What could you recommend to teachers? You know, that's what a lot of people ask me. That That's a great question. You know, I'm not a yoga teacher. I'm not into this, but how can I do this? And you don't need to be a yogi. I get a lot of my inspiration through reading that works for me. And and I like paper. I, I don't want to read on a device. I know for some people that's fabulous, but I do a lot of reading. So I have um, three books that I really have helped me to reobserve myself. Um, first one is called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, which now there is actually five. There is a website also that talks about the, the agreements and how they interplay in life. It just helped me reframe my relationships with other people, whether it's my students, whether it's the people in my household. But the hardest one, don't take anything personally. And that's so challenging because we take everything personally. Oh, they didn't greet me in the morning, you know, alert. Eh. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what's going on in the, their world. Yeah, my world might have a lot going on and I'm trying to deal with that, but I also don't know what's going on in their world. So that helps me with my students. I don't know the baggage that they're bringing in daily into the classroom and they don't always share that. My second book is Addicted to the Monkey Mind by J.F. Benoit because our minds are always working and we tend to project this is happening. This is going to be the outcome. I don't know if that's the outcome yet. It could be, but it might not be. So instead of worrying about that outcome, how do you stay in that present moment without the judgment, without the predictions? And then as a daily meditation, I would I did this one year um, every morning before I went to work by Melody uh, Beatty, Journey to the Heart. And it was a short reading every day of coming back to what's your essential self and what's your why? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? What do you want to get out of your experiences? When I reframed my my days like that, like school is a struggle. I don't always get my way. I, I'm also a, I'll ask for forgiveness, not permission. Mm-hmm. 
I know why I'm there. And I know when I close my door and that's my why that is my space with mm-hmm. my students. And it might not be how another teacher is doing it. And it might not be what everybody else is doing, but that's working for me. And that's, what's bringing me happiness and joy into my daily life, which is encouraging me to continue to stay in this profession. Like I'm not mm-hmm. ready to leave. I love teaching but it's a frustrating job. Um, So for those recommendations, those three books, taking some time to reflect on yourself, right? You don't have to, and I love reading for professional development, but I need a little Mm self-development. So those are my recommendations. And my other recommendation is to read something that totally does not deal with your work or school or home or have your reality TV fix, whatever it is, <laughs> have that outlet, you know, you need something to get your brain out of your daily routine too. So how can listeners be connecting with you either through social media, email? What's the, what's the way to get in touch? All of the above. <laughs> um, Jenny Zen Yoga, J-E-N-N-Y-Z-E-N-Y-O-G-A.com is my website. And I do list, um, my yoga work, the conferences I'll be at. Same thing, jennyzenyoga at gmail.com. Send me an email. Email is the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, which is now not Twitter anymore, but I'm on Twitter. (laughs) I'm on Instagram. I'm in LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn, I'm Jennifer Schwester. And uh, before we say our goodbyes, I always like to leave listeners with some hearty advice to sink their teeth into going into their classrooms. So what can you leave us with advice in this world of mindfulness and SEL? First thing is take a deep breath. Before you open your mouth, take a deep inhale through your nose and let it out your nose or your mouth, right? You can even turn your back so nobody knows what you're doing. But take that deep breath. It's going to settle down a very tight vagus nerve and help you start to relax. And so that's self-compassion. As I was saying in the recommendations, you know, take care of yourself. Address yourself and take care of yourself first, Right. And it's always, you know, what are we doing for these other people? But if I'm in bad shape, if I'm not in a good headspace or trying to be in a good headspace, I'm not going to be able to help other people. Um, So really, you know, self-compassion and self-care is not selfish. You have to put yourself first, even if it's for two minutes. Take that deep belly breath, you know, close your eyes, read whatever book or watch TV. I also like to use the treat others how you would like to be treated. Sometimes it's hard to be told what to do. No one's bossing Jenny's and yoga around. But if I, it's how I treat my students, I'm not treating them the way I like to be treated. Be grateful for opportunities as they come up. They might not come up when you want them. They might get postponed sometimes, but be extremely grateful when they do happen. Um, give yourself grace when things do not go the way you want it to or the way you think it should. Don't judge yourself. Just say, okay, that didn't work. Am I ready to reevaluate something right now? Or should I put it aside? Because sometimes things need to be put aside. And finally, don't stop changing or adapting, right? Mm -hmm. Keep growing. And I think that's part of the excitement of the learning process. As I said, I love teaching still. I love learning. I love new ways, learning about new ways to connect and get my students using language or at least happy to come to class and keep their heads up. I'm happy with those days too. I see those as some successes. Be open 
to trying something new. You don't have to change everything that you do. Like, I'm not saying anybody has to go out and become a yogi. That was my own choice. And it kind of led me into this path. I didn't go into yoga to talk about mindfulness and SEL. That just all started mm-hmm. to naturally develop from it. And I made it part of my daily life. It's part of my daily life at home. It's part of my daily life at school. And how do I make that work for me to keep myself in that good headspace? Because okay. as I said, if I'm in a good space, it's going to be good for everybody else. Right. I think that just listening to that advice right there, the there's always like a nugget that sticks out for me. And when you said self-care is not selfish, I'm like that's my hashtag for like this year. Self-care is not selfish. I love it. You know, again, I had to reflect on that. That stuck with people. So self-care is not selfish. Make that, yeah, make that your hashtag. Okay. And, you know, there were some days like, Ooh, um, yeah, I didn't get my lesson plans in on the exact day, but I took a lovely walk the night before. Mm-hmm. And I'm done now because I'm in a better headspace. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights and <laughs> for helping to reframe my understanding of what mindfulness looks like in the classroom and connecting it to crashing and the affective filter and all of that. This was really an incredibly useful conversation. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you um, for giving me this time to share share and we're, we're all in this together it, it really you know we need each other as teachers we i'm so grateful that your podcast is around and all of the guests that you've had on because we are here to make each other better what are your takeaways from that conversation with jennifer schwester i know that i got some ideas for attending to my students affective filter in my classroom Be sure to check out the show notes to connect with Jennifer. You'll also see the link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. There are also links to get in touch with me if you'd like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the World Language Classroom podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so that you never miss an episode. Let's keep the conversation going on social media. Connect with me on X, aka Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at WL Classroom. And for even more valuable resources, visit my website, wlclassroom.com, where you'll find over 300 blog posts about language teaching. So stay inspired, keep growing, and continue making a difference in your language classroom. 